Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, except sometimes not, man. The conversation's somewhat on topic, and we have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about questioning the tech experts. Let's get into episode 70. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. And with me today, I have my two favorite people in the world, Matt and Wendy. How are you two? Wait, where's Nate? What have you done with him? There's no snarky intro. (laughs) Here's the deal. I know, right? I had a little bit of a slightly stressful ride home today, and uh, we're just going to go ahead and and just be Uh... Mr. Optimist today. And all like puppy dogs, unicorns, and Care Bears. So that's the way I'm going to be today. I don't like this version of Nate. Where's Nate? He needs to be this way right now, okay? (laughs) I can't help it. Okay. We'll give you a break for today. You get two weeks off after this. And you don't have to hear Matt for a little bit. It'll be all right. Well, that'll make me sad because (laughs) who else is going to troll me? Well, there's nobody that trolls you like Matt does, but... I'll just troll you outside of the show, which I already do anyway. I'm going to hold you to it, Matt. Don't let me down. Yeah, there you go. And speaking of not letting me down, you've made another purchase... So you are enabling yourself, and I think this is great. So no, actually, I'm not enabling myself because I've not made this purchase yet. Along with the eGPU stuff that I'm looking at, I'm looking at the Sony ZV-1F, I believe is the actual full name for it, which is like a content creator's camera, as opposed to trying to square peg round hole, which is a lot of the situations when it comes to content creation and cameras and wendy knows a whole lot more about this stuff than i do not always the best there's a lot of compromises and that kind of stuff this is a camera that sony put out specifically for and focusing around video for content creators and youtubers and vlogging and that kind of stuff i'm looking at it as more of a live streaming kind of setup so for me i already have a 4k capture card anyway this does 4k it improves the quality that much more as a decently wide kind of aperture for it and it's nice because you can actually see what the camera's seeing because you actually flip the screen around whereas most cameras don't generically give you that when they're attached to you know a tripod and they're actually a stomachable price of 499 dollars while the last time i made a purchase i was kicking myself because the price went down i'm kicking myself because i didn't buy it when the price was down this time because a couple of days ago, this was about $399 on B&H. Yeah, and it's most likely going to be going on sale again. I'm wondering if B&H kind of knocked down some of their prices during the Amazon Prime Day sale. Just so if somebody was like, hey, I'm going to check prices. Well, I can get it from B&H too for the same price or cheaper. Hmm, might as well go ahead and grab it here instead. That's a pretty smart idea if that's actually what they did. And I love the ideas of these cameras. And it's exactly like you said, they are specifically made for the growing population of people that are vlogging, that are using these mirrorless cameras for content creation. And it's one of those things that I'm going to need to get here shortly. As many of you know, Hardware Addicts has gone to a video format And right now I'm using a Logitech camera, 1080p, and I think the show right now is putting out in 1080p, so it's not like it's that big of a deal, but I would like to step up the game video-wise for them, especially where we're using 
an application that lets us record and then all the files finish uploading, downloading. It's part of the reason why we haven't done video in the past or last time I was on DL, they had me pre-record my video because my internet just wasn't fast enough to keep up. And with these applications that you can record to and then they finish uploading your local files makes that more feasible. And I know Ryan is talking about getting one of these Sony that's in this VZ line that's made specifically for video use, B-roll, connecting them to your computer for using them as your webcam and such. They really are focused on that side of the market instead of taking stills. Now you can take stills with them, but that's not their main purpose. Their main purpose really is that video side of things. And I think this one would be a really good one for you. Matt, are you going to be videoing yourself or subjects? What are you going to be doing with this? Live streaming. Of you. Yes, it'll be video of him live streaming, probably in games. Are you going to be doing more of it on the game sphere side of Yeah, things? it'll be for more of the live streaming for games and stuff. Okay, all right. I'm waiting for the sarcasm and I'm just not getting it. Well, I'm just curious, like, so like with a camera, I don't know if you had like have special additional lighting or if you're buying some like lighting rigs as well or... No, I already got decent enough lighting. Okay, okay. Because the canvas I use is a 1080p, but if I can get it the camera quality for 4K, it's just a sharper image for the overall quality of the the live streaming box because at 720p or whatever. And the nice thing is with this, this can actually down... I believe if I'm reading the specs right, it can do a 1080p 120 if I really wanted to go that route. That depends on the capture card and all that stuff too. I think stuff like that's really cool because it gives right. you a lot of options like creatively. I think I might be a little bit offended that you think I was trying to take a shot at you. I am nothing but puppy dogs, unicorns, and care bears today. <laughs> you know the word today. Uh-huh. Yeah. While I'm looking to create things and you know new cameras and all that stuff, Wendy, it seems like you're having some issues uh, still creating things of your own, though. Yeah, I have. And there's things that I got to talk about last week and things I didn't get to talk about last week, as you heard in the show, because we ended up having some audio issues. So you only got a third of the actual show that we did. So I'm still printing stuff for camps. And I know I had mentioned last week that I was hoping that even though my print bed wasn't heating, that I could get all of that stuff printed without any more issues. Well, of course, I should have knocked on wood. I ran into more issues. I was able to finish printing that set of six just fine. I went to print a set of eight of a different award and they were coming off the bed and not completely coming off the bed, but the corners were, they were starting to look really ugly. And I know once we got to the top where the text was going to be that it just was not going to look good. So I stopped the print and we were probably somewhere in like the 10, 12 hour mark of the print. So it had actually been printing for quite a while when I had to shut down the print, which is a super bummer. And I couldn't restart the print because A, I was out of stick glue and that's what I'm using to help adhere stuff to the bed. And B, we were getting ready to leave for the weekend. So we were getting up and leaving Saturday morning, but we weren't going to be around when the print actually finished, even though I was starting it sometime in the evening around six or seven-ish. So I didn't go ahead and start it. We got home yesterday, Sunday evening, And I decided that, you know, let's add a brim to the print and see if that actually helps them stick down better. Recreated the G-code file with a brim, restarted the print. It took 
like 17 and a half hours for this print to finish. Wow. They turned out really good. There was no peeling issues on these ones. So that part is awesome. I have another print started now and they're all going to be around that like 17 hours, 15 minutes, 17 hours and a half, like somewhere in there. And I'm still working on getting stuff transferred over from my main drive to the NAS. That's something I did talk about in the host related interest section that didn't make it out to everybody. And I'm not talking about it this week, but I will refill you in on all of that later. But I do want to touch base and say, hey, you know, this is your last show for a couple weeks. Because of the craziness of summer, there will be no show on August 2nd or 9th because I'm busy with robotic stuff once again. Kind of a quick rundown of all the crap that's happening in my life right now. Yeah, these things happen. <laughs> I get it. For me, anyway, it's a kick in the teeth when you can't finish something. Like you, you plan out you know, a print or whatever, and then you can't actually get the print out in the time that you wanted because something else goes wrong and it pushes everything back so far that I mean, it really pushes things back. So... Yeah, I feel for you. It's terrible, but I mean, what can you do? I know. I was hoping to be taking at least like four or five of the sets of awards with me tomorrow to robotics. And at most, I'm going to be able to take three. So like I said, I've got a print going right now. And that one will finish sometime around like 3.30 in the morning. And I'll be able to take those off and take them with me. And I'll be able to start another print, but that leaves like four sets of awards that I won't have available for her tomorrow, which I mean, I still have some time. We've got the rest of this week before robotics camp start out. It was just going to be really nice to have them all done mm -hmm. and to my co-mentor ahead of time. But they are printing better now with the brim. It's amazing how just a little extra filament on the sides of a print, even though this has a really nice large base, just that little extra filament stretching out along the sides can make a difference between a successful print and a failed yes, print. It's amazing, actually. Such small differences, how they have such a massive effect. And I, I don't fully get it, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And some of those small differences that have a massive impact are in your framework laptop. I'm so jealous about this. Tell us more about your current configuration. All right, so the framework is something I decided I wanted when I started having problems with my HP EliteBook 840G7. It's been a great computer. For the most part, it's a very good computer. And it would be a great computer if you could actually get the keyboard replaced without you know, taking half a day to pull the entire insides of it out to, to rip its guts out, do like a disemboweling the thing to replace the keyboard. And it wouldn't have been bad if I just had to replace one key in it. The issue is that the other key started to fail too. Like they just wouldn't respond. And so I'd have to like beat on the keyboard sometimes and just became really quite aggravating. So it wasn't a driver issue. Nothing changed like that. It's just the keyboard is failing. There's, there's other documented cases of those exact keys failing. I got it in end of 2020. So I decided that, you know what, before I tear this thing apart, there's a lot of questions here and I'm fine with doing the work, but before I do it, I need to make sure I have a primary machine that I can use for work. And because of the change of nature of my work, I didn't want to go backwards in computers to do this. I wanted to go forwards because there's just some things I wanted to do in Linux specifically with this machine and this machine only that I don't want to like trickle to anything else want this machine eventually to replace the Windows laptop that I'm using. That's the aim for the framework. So I pre-ordered the framework back in April and I got it in the tail end of June and I got an i7 
with a 1360p. It's about four times more powerful than my Elite Book in that regard. I got it with 32 gigabytes of RAM, but I subsequently purchased another 32 gigabytes of RAM for it because I was actually using the memory with like virtual machines and a bunch of other stuff that I was doing with it. I got a two terabyte NVMe for it to basically max it out. And because I'm doing some like on the road production with it too, because of my additional traveling and whatnot, I, I want to make sure I have the horsepower and the capability to do all these things without having issues, I guess. So the screen is this very, I would call it strange three by two ratio. And this actually was a stumbling block for me because it's just weird. The X and Y on that is it's uh, 2256 by 1504. Now it's a very nice screen. And no complaints there. I do have to set the global scale to 125% to be able to read it because my old man eyes just can't read the standard size, 100% scaling, I guess, with a 13 and a half inch diagonal screen. But it's a very nice looking screen. It's very clear. If I tilt it and, and whatever in any direction, I don't, it don't have that any kind of ghosting, which not a lot of newer screens now, it's not an issue anyway. But I just noticed how nice that was. And of course, I put OpenSUSE Tumbleweed on it. It was a, you know, build it yourself. So when you got it, it was in pieces. And that was fun for me. So there's four slots on it. You can put whatever you want in there. I did get six different adapters. I got two USB-C, two USB-A, uh, one micro SD, and one HDMI. So why two USB-A? I don't know. I just thought I would. I've only used one. I have used both USB-C at one time, and I swapped out the micro SD and HDMI. So I've used them all except for the second USB-A, I guess. I had no problems installing OpenSUSE on there. Everything worked right out of the box. I did have to add some additional packages to use the fingerprint reader. And so that it recognized doing like the fingerprint like you know, move it around and do whatever else with it. But it doesn't quite, must be missing something. It doesn't authenticate when it's locked to go into it, into Plasma. So I must be missing something. I must have missed one of the steps, but it's not really important. I don't actually like biometrics. I just thought it was fun. The touchpad is great. I do miss the J mouse, whatever it's called, a little like the track point. It doesn't have that. I do kind of miss that, but that's okay with it. And what I do have to say is, so laptop keyboards have basically since Apple kind of did what they did, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so, maybe less than that. Everyone's kind of going to like the, how awful can we make laptop keyboards, you know, to follow Apple's lead. I have to say framework went the other way with it. They have a little bit longer travel with it. It's like a millimeter longer than most or something like that. I don't know exactly what, but it has a nice feel on the travel. The stop is very nice. It's a consistent travel on it. So for rubber dome style keyboard, right. it's very well done. And I'm very pleased with it. It's actually a joy to type on, unlike most oh. modern laptops. That's not mechanical nice, but for a laptop keyboard, it is very nice. It's almost as good as the Dells from like 10 years ago before they started following Apple and down the path of laptop stupidity. It is definitely a reversal from all things that make me irritated about laptops. And I'm very happy with that. One thing that I think is really neat about the construction is instead of using clips to hold things together, you know, like the sort of screws and clips is typically what you get on a laptop. They use screws and magnets. It holds itself together instead of clips. They're pretty powerful magnets, whatever they are. I really like it a lot because you can cycle a magnet a lot more than you can cycle a clip. And it's pretty darn nice. Everything about it is great. I can use my same docking stations, USB-C, that I have that I've been using. There's no change there. I can dock it at work the same way I dock the HP, and I can dock it at home the same way I've been docking the HP. So it's kind of nice having that USB-C universal thing. We'll see how long the USB-C lasts on it. And then what I love is all of the open source projects that have been built around those interchangeable expansion ports. It's actually really cool. There's some really neat projects out there, people doing different fun things with it. And so it's an exciting place for, I think, people who are kind of in the maker space and who like well-built machine art. Actually, it feels good too. There's no buckling of the keyboard. Like when you type on it, it has a very rigid feel to it. It's basically a perfect laptop for me. So I'm, I'm very happy. Well, you are an absolute darling when it comes to selling framework laptops because right now I really, really want one. Thank you for that. Yeah, sorry about that. So <laughs> you probably want to know what I spent 
I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. I'm curious as what what you spent for this setup. I didn't get the maximum CPU option in there. I got you know a one step down, and then I did put a larger NVMe in there, and I did max out the RAM in it. So I did spend when it's said and done, so taking account the additional RAM, I did spend eighteen hundred dollars on the machine. So that is incredibly salty for me. Like normally when you open up the wallet, you see moths fly out. <laughs> I'd have no buyer's remorse with it though. I'm so happy with it. The only thing I will say that's a little bit lackluster is the battery life. I can get about between six and eight hours of battery life if I'm just doing like regular office work. If I'm doing anything like with CAD or video editing, maybe four. That's the one thing I would say is, is a little bit of a downer. I can't say the Elite Book was too much better and it probably would be even better with Windows, I suppose, because you know Windows has supposedly has better power management stuff. I've never experienced a laptop outside of like those Chromebook that lasts 12 plus hours. And no, I'm not going to buy an Apple product because they glue them together, which means that they're garbage. Something else that is really, really versatile is Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode and their infrastructure from their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 days a year for every level of user. Yep even you beginners out there, to the ease of use and setup. It's clear why developers and business have been trusting Linode for their projects, both big and small, since 2003. Don't worry. If you want to be up and running quick, Linode offers one-click apps to deploy everything from Plesk, WordPress, Valheim and Minecraft servers. Yep, even those games, you gamers out there, which I'm sure warms Matt's heart. Visit linode.com slash tux and create that free account and you'll get $100 credit. Why not using it to set up a few fun Minecraft servers and let your friends have a blast? Speaking of having a blast, those tech experts are having a blast making things up. One of these articles that came out that I think is absolutely ridiculous is someone from a place that I've trusted for years and years, XDA developers, they did an article on why, why Linux is great on a Steam Deck, but not on the desktop. And it was kind of filled with a bunch of um, garbage comments, I guess you could say. Now, the article was rewritten, and I believe, Matt, you brought this up. Yeah, I brought this up, unfortunately. Yeah, I gave you the aneurysm this time. It was actually quite the aneurysm. It made my head hurt. I would say I was mad at you for sharing it, but I was just mad that it was written. Not that you shared it necessarily. <laughs> So yeah, uh, this particular part of the original article, I want to specify the difference here. The original article talks about why Linux is great on the Steam Deck as opposed to desktop Linux. And I can get behind that kind of argument if Linux doesn't fit into your you know, workflow or needs or whatever, that's fine. I totally get that. There are machines and everything else that we all use that I'm sure are not like Nate in our ideal situational use that we would prefer. But just the way the information is presented was oh like kind of not thoroughly researched that you know even if you do 30 seconds of google foo you could have found out things like them thinking that proton is exclusive to the steam deck oh uh, stupid <laughs> this calls into the question the a lot of the credibility and the thing that really hurts is this is xda the, you know this is the the home of the root and rom community for android which regardless of where you view it in the linux sphere the core of it is a linux system it's a linux kernel at the heart of it and this is coming out from that community all right so i run linux because i can 
I run Android and I root an Android device because I can. It's all kind of the same fabric, whether it's the kind of Linux that you like is not the important piece here. It's the taking control of my hardware and doing with my hardware what I want and not being forced a specific whatever on it. When Motorola or whomever stops supporting the piece of hardware, you can keep supporting it through this root and ROM community. That's the beauty of it. And the fact that they missed such a critical piece, this is like their bread and butter, totally missed out on it. I, I don't know. I, it, just, it seems so way far off. I wouldn't say that it's XDA as a whole because they did go back and re-edit it with somebody who had a little bit more experience with Linux. My overall issue is that there seems to be more and more content that's being put out there, not necessarily from XDA alone, but there's just content that needs to be filled. So we do a weekly show, right? And we've got to create some sort of content. Granted, most of this show is really stuff that we're interested in. So the intro section, we're talking about stuff that we've been doing with tech, Linux, any of that stuff. In the host-related interest section, it's almost like a continuation of the intro where we get to talk about more stuff that we're actually using. And we've got that benefit in those sections of the show. And then you have YouTubers who are just by themselves or people that need to write articles and they just got to have something. Instead of taking the time and researching it to make sure that it is a quality article, that's a quality video, that it's a quality podcast, they're just putting out whatever they can find. So this individual was way off the mark on a lot of things. And I think based on the disclaimers inside the rewritten article, there was a lot of people in the XDA community who were like, holy cow, hold your horses. Wait a minute. That's not true. And so the community around XDA kind of did a check and the article got rewritten. Thankfully, Yes, exactly. There seems to be a lot of times where that information gets left floating out there. And it's not just Linux gets hits with bad information. It's tech all over the place. And then somebody finds that article that doesn't know better and is taking in this bad information. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating when that bad information gets dropped. And I hope that we, even though we don't claim to be experts, when we mess something up, when we get something wrong, because we do, we're human. And I'm not saying that we don't get stuff wrong, but I hope that we correct it. And I hope that we, as a network in general, the whole text digital network, isn't just jumping to conclusions. I know Ryan does a ton of research in either of the shows that he's on so I don't know. I really wish that more of these so-called tech experts would take the time and do a little bit more research or not write articles on stuff that they really have no experience with or their one experience is with a Linux distro that isn't made for the general public. It's kind of a one-off thrown in there. It's not like this guy went and loaded Ubuntu on something and ran into a lot of problems. And if he did, say, this is my personal experience, not the generalization of Linux or whatever. So to be clear, and I want to make it clear, we're not just kind of piling on this particular person in this particular article. It's like kind of a trend that goes on. Like you have to be the provocateur right. and all the other kind of nonsense that, you know, mm -hmm. make content in order to pay the bills, basically add clicks, make drive through you now, all that stuff. You alluded to it, Wendy. The problem was I didn't take an issue personally with, you know, hey, Linux don't work for me. Cool, whatever. You know, I'm more, I'm much more the pragmatist when it comes to, this end of the sphere when it comes to Linux. But when you're using 
Hollow ISO. So Hollow ISO, for those that don't know, is a basically a rip of SteamOS trying to be used on a general PC. SteamOS is currently locked more or less to the Steam Deck hardware. If you have AMD, you might have better luck getting it to work on other hardware, but generically it's locked to that particular device. The problem is hollow ISO, if you even do five seconds of Google Foo or DuckDuckGo Foo or insert preferred engine here, it's like the fifth to 10th result. And it's a GitHub page that hasn't been with the ISO itself not being updated since December. Which is almost an eternity. In Linux, yes. With all the constant improvements and stuff that are coming out. So you're going through all those hoops. Then you want to complain about having to manually mount a secondary drive when this particular distro is not meant for a general PC usage. For those that are less quote-unquote technically inclined... This is like putting bare macOS on a PC and expecting it to get macOS levels of working. It doesn't compute that way. The funny thing is to me is XDA was my first exposure to Linux when I had my very first smartphone. And yes, I was rooting and roaming from my very first smartphone. But there was a recovery image on XDA for my Droid X in which you were booting into this isolated Linux that would reflash the phone, take it back to stock or whatever. So XDA was my first exposure to Linux years ago before I even started running as an operating system. And then at the same time, like there was this article out. So you can find misinformation absolutely everywhere when it comes to what's going on in tech. One of the things that I've noticed, so in watching a lot of like computer chronicles from the 80s and early 90s, more recently, tech experts actually get it wrong most of the time about predictions and what's good and what's not. There's a lot of like this hype and so I've taken the position of, let's wait and see if it's any good. I mean, like, for instance, when the framework came out, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. Probably hype. If it sticks around, I might be interested. And then, well, it's stuck around so far. But there's lots of things like this. This expert here, they don't take the whole picture in. They have an incredibly biased view of something and then project that onto whatever they see. And that happens a lot. It's not wrong to be wrong, I guess. Right. And it's not wrong to be inaccurate with things. What's wrong is the lack of humility and saying, you know what, I was wrong about that. Or to willingly and knowingly put out information that is absolutely incorrect. You know, if you do it because you're ignorant or you're misinformed, but you correct yourself from it, great. This article wasn't corrected by the... The original author, yeah. Right, it was corrected by somebody else. And I think they should have just taken the article down or something. Or maybe, maybe the rewrite was good or, or something. Anyway, a follow-up article saying, hey, here's where I was wrong would actually probably be more appropriate or would actually still be appropriate to do. Yeah. It's been a while since it came out. I don't want to attribute to malice what could be attributed toward just incompetence. And that could also be it too. But I mean, again, a simple Google search on any of it, or even going through the XDA forums would have been helpful, asking some questions. This article would have been a great forum thread, but really was not anything that should have been an article. Because sometimes you're making an assessment on something that you don't necessarily have the full picture yet, or the picture is still coming in clear over time. Matt shares games all the time that I'm not interested in. (laughs) He sure does. Especially when they're wearing the the kind of clothes that, you know, might be concerning. Yep. But one thing we can make a consensus on is that we all love Bitwarden for our password manager. 
Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set things up like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, businesses to store and share and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux and get started for free. For a $10 premium account, which gets you a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with UbiKey, U2F, and Duo. Vault Health Reports, priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Matt, you like to bring up games that are sometimes questionable, but this time you're not bringing up a game, are you? You bring up something useful for gaming. Yes, I am. And something that is actually part of something that most people will probably pay for because it's part of Amazon Prime. There's also known as Prime Gaming, which gives out free games monthly-ish, kind of. It all depends. Like right now, currently, anyway, as of this moment, the free game of the time being is Star Wars The Force Unleashed Ultimate Sith Edition Ooh. for PC. I had mentioned an application for the CLI, which I know shocked both Nate and Wendy, called Nile a while back. Nile allows you to manage your Prime Gaming stuff, like all the games that are actually tied to your Prime Gaming account, which is also tied to your Amazon Prime account. But it's all CLI, and not everyone wants to deal with the CLI. Believe it or not, Nate. That's Wendy. weird. I don't get it. So one nice bit of information, though, because if you use EGS or the Epic Game Store or GOG, there is a great app for you called the Heroic Games Launcher, which is looking to add Amazon gaming support by using Nile for the back end. So those free prime gaming perks can now be used through a GUI app. And it's like the default GUI app for anything that's outside of Steam. This is right the now. best part about open source. So you have Nile that gives you some access to that library if you already have Amazon Prime. And then another open source project is taking the work that they've done and bringing it into a GUI form. So if you want to use Nile, you can. You can use it in the CLI. And if you want a GUI option, then you've got one in the Heroic Games Launcher, which also gives you access to other game libraries, which is kind of nice to just have the one application and multiple game libraries coming into it. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of people will recommend, oh, if you want to use like EGS, a lot of people will say, oh, install it through Lutris. And I'm like, why are you going to install it through Lutris when, you know, an update will brick it? And at least on the heroic, the application is being natively developed. So at least, you know, it's where to point the finger. So if it's a API change by Epic, it's not a, a break somewhere between the script and a DLL or something in the Lutris way of doing it. So seeing stuff like this is fantastic to me. I, I love seeing this. I mean, that's how Heroic started. Heroic started using it because Legendary, which is the base for Heroic, the command line version of EGS. So Heroic has helped build on top of all that fantastic work. So, you know, the whole building on... Yeah, it's really exciting that stuff. people of different interests are getting together to build a, a product, essentially, to make, or project rather, to make another aspect of gaming just a little bit easier in Linux. And, and that's just a win for everybody. And who can say no to more free stuff, especially around games? No, I mean, there's a cost. You're getting an added feature at no additional cost but. in this case. 
Exactly. Another thing, though, that is gaming related is when you're still playing a video game. What is I know. I know. This is actually pretty weird. So I brought up Phasmophobia here a few weeks ago. It's a game that my kids bought and then they talked me into playing with them. Mostly my older daughter, though. I think I've played with all of my kids at this point, except for the youngest. And just a quick recap. It is a puzzle style game. But you're going into a haunted house, school, whatever it is, campsite, and you're trying to find the clues to figure out what kind of ghost it is. There are some weekly challenges that pop up. So my daughter and I weren't able to hit the weekly challenge last week, which you were going into a house and the ghost gives you absolutely no evidence. They have some specific things that they'll do that is just for that ghost type. But it doesn't show in your regular journal. It's kind of one of those things that you just have to know the ghost. My daughter's done a ton of research on the game. She's kind of like me. When she gets interested in something, she has to know everything about it. And it's been the same with this game as well. So we actually came across this Phasmophobia cheat sheet that is really pretty cool. And not only does it give you a rundown of what the ghosts are, but if you say, okay, always show secondary evidence or show at least one selected. So you walk into a house and your ghost has dots projected. You can see the ghost moving through the dots. And then it gives you some secondary evidence, some stuff that you normally wouldn't be able to check off in the Phasmophobia journal. But it helps you figure things out. So there's a new weekly challenge that popped up this week. And you're going into the high school. And this ghost acts a lot like a shade. So if you're in the room with it, it's kind of a hide and seek. It's not making a lot of noise. It's not really opening doors or whatever. And you got to figure out what it is. And it gives you a specific group of tools that's for the challenge. So you can't use a thermometer to try and find the ghost room, which is usually one of the tools that I use. This ghost doesn't seem to hunt using this cheat sheet. I was getting an EMF 2 out of nowhere and I did get an EMF 5. So first I had marked off the EMF 5 and then as my daughter's looking through that, she's like, you know, based on what this is, it's got to be, I can't remember, I think it was a phantom because they can just jump to you and when they do, it'll pop up as an EMF 2 or an EMF 5 and we're able to use that evidence in order to figure out what the ghost is. I got to do it two more times and then I earned $3,000 in the game. I'm probably going to end up having to do it three more times instead of two. You need to do it three times in order to get the money. I'll probably have to do it three more times instead of two even though I got one right just so that my daughter can score it. I do have to give a warning on the voice lines of this. In the anger and attack words, it does have some naughty words in there because there are some naughty words that will trigger the ghost to automatically hunt. I have done this before, not necessarily with some of the naughty words. Naughty. But I used the ghost's name and I was standing right outside the ghost's favorite room and I was being all cocky and I was like, hey, show yourself. And then I died. So that is a phrase, especially using the name and like, hey, show me who you are that instantly triggered an attack and I died. Especially where I was standing outside the ghost room. I had no time to actually run away. But that is the warning. There are some naughty words on that list of things that can trigger an attack, anger your ghost, whatever. 
But if you're just in the ghost evidence side of things and you're trying to establish, hey, this is what I've been given or this ghost did this really special thing that I haven't seen before, then it'll help you solve some of those puzzles. And it's kind of cool. It's being hosted on github.io. So I'm pretty sure that this is just somebody's project. They enjoy the game too and are sharing a way to help you solve the puzzle. Well, that's pretty cool. I think it's great when we have little resources out there to cheat or to <laughs> assist. Yes, I'm definitely calling this an assist instead of a cheat sheet. Yeah. When playing games with my kids, like they know a lot of this stuff just because they've been playing it, you know, like the, like right. Minecraft or like Pokemon or something like that. And it's like, I need a reference because there's no way I can keep up if I don't have some kind of reference to kind of get me up to speed a little bit quicker. My daughter has an amazing memory when it comes to video game trivia like that. It's always cool that you're able to play some games with the kids and stuff. And for what people think about video games, there is a level of like family time and bonding time that can happen with them in certain games and in the right games, because it, it does help build that family dynamic and relationships and stuff, because you're showing an interest in something that, well, you might not normally be of that ilk, you know, horror games or whatever, but it shows that you are interested enough because your kids are interested enough in it. it when we first started playing this, I was playing it thing. grudgingly. It was causing a little bit of extra stress because I hate dying in games. I absolutely hate dying, which is probably why I stick mostly to the point and click and ones that don't punish you if you die. I'm not good at anything where I have to jump around. There's actually one puzzle game I stopped playing because you had to push the buttons at the right time in order to jump through this maze part of it that came up and I'm like Bleh, I don't want to deal with that crap so I was not having fun with this at first and my husband had mentioned the other day he's like I think you're starting to enjoy it as much as they are and actually I think I am I'm really really enjoying playing this game and it is fun to have this game that both my daughter and I are enjoying me and some of my other kids are enjoying and we can kind of have conversations over it and laugh about the fact that Mom thinks she's being a smart aleck and then <laughs> dying after saying something like that. So we've had a lot of fun with it. I'm really enjoying the game. And I would love it if there were a few other people on the network that I trusted to play with me and my daughter or something so we could tackle some of those bigger maps like the high school. There's so many rooms in that that you really need to have the four people max in order to tackle it well where it's just two of us playing at a time we're really having to stick to some of the smaller maps because last time we tried to play the high school where it was a regular round still on amateur it didn't take too long before I was dead and my daughter was just guessing as to what it was because you just couldn't cover the ground and so Yes, I would love to be able to play with more people on that one, and I am enjoying it. It's becoming a fun, fun project and getting me to play more games. You're not done with projects at work, though. I don't think you'll ever be done with projects. That's part of being the IT guy, but I'm really interested in this one, which is a pie cradle for a 3D printer at work. You get to 3D print at work, too. Well, I do the 3D printing at home for work because I work remotely sometimes. So do remote work. I do like other project work. So what, I, what I'm working on right now is a, there's a, a, these scales. When trucks come in 
they hit a button. That button tells another system that, hey, they came in at this time and then it prints off a ticket for the trucker that has a little barcode on it and so forth. The button is the trigger that initiates everything else. And that's run by on a Raspberry Pi. It's one of the problems that we're having is the maintenance people like to just shut the, the whole thing down when they do any service on it. So it kills the Pi. And that's not good. I got some batteries for like a UPS. The idea for this is that it came from the computer I built for my daughter. But this is a slightly larger battery for reasons. But anyway, instead of putting it in a, uh, a 3D pin printed pink box that looks like an old terminal from 1970s. It's like a little project box, a little black project box that has some points where you can you know, screw something on the bottom. And so I'm creating a couple of trays, one to hold the battery and another one for the UPS PCB, which is screwed to the Raspberry Pi 3. Rather than just like stick them in there with some double-sided sticky tape, I want to actually have it nicely set in there so that it's a well-done little package that doesn't require double-sided sticky tape to, you know. I'm designing it, it's a two-part thing where the top part just nests over the battery and the kind of interference fits into the base and the top will have some holes so i can actually screw the standoffs right into that hopefully tonight it'll be printed and i can take it into the office tomorrow we're probably not going to do the actual work for that until the end of the week actually I'll probably wait till next week to do it just make life a little bit simpler if i do it that way Anyway, uh, I got to kind of schedule that all in. Everything's got to be scheduled in. I can't just do something willy-nilly. I got to... Every change I make that involves somebody else's flow takes a little scheduling to make happen. Extremely important that you are adding the batteries to these Raspberry Pis so they're not just being taken off the network without being shut down properly. Yes, a Raspberry Pi right. still needs to be shut down properly. Hopefully by tonight, I'll have one ready to go, and then maybe get another one done tomorrow. Am I working a little bit longer today than normal? Yeah, that's okay. I really enjoy what I do, so it, it makes it a lot easier to justify spending a few extra minutes or hours or whatever here and there. Very cool. I can't wait to hear the update on this and how the installation went. It'll be fantastic, I hope. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting textdigital.com contact. Like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description, find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, Gamesphere, Linux Loon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be a hair shirt or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome set of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter-friendly conversation somewhat on topic and have fun doing it.